Hey, turn in your Bible to Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. As you are turning there or, or scrolling there, whatever that looks like for you, Psalm 119, I, I do want to take the opportunity real quick to welcome all of those who are joining us live online through Facebook and our website, and then even just a little bit bigger celebration. We have this incredible opportunity Every week we are able to stream, God help us every week, live uh, stream into the Eunice Correctional Facility. And we have some brothers and sisters in Christ down there that ask for our services. What an incredible opportunity that is. Could you just bless them and welcome them, make sure they know that you are welcome wherever you are to jump on board and take this spiritual journey with us. The Bible says that we are body, soul, and spirit. And we are all three of those things in one, just like God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the one God in three persons. We have a body, a flesh, we have a soul and a spirit. And most of us, most of us, including myself, hear me, most of us, spend more energy, effort, and investment on the body, which is the only one of the three that will perish. Most of us spend way more time filling our body than we do our soul and our spirit. And therefore, ultimately, we neglect the eternal because those are the only two things that will go before God. That's why when Jesus comes, there will be the dead and Christ shall rise first. The body will meet the spirit and the soul and the air. And then uh, mortality will put on immortality and corruptible will put on incorruptible. But until then, we've got to take the, uh, the discipline, the time, the obedience, and actually feed ourselves beyond a Sunday morning. Feed ourselves beyond a 21-day fast. Feed ourselves beyond the momentum conference. Listen, if you wait until the next major move of God to have an encounter with God, you will starve to death between now and then. Listen to what David said in Psalm chapter 119, verse 147. Most, most scholars agree that uh, David wrote this psalm. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because... It's easier for me to understand. Verse 147 says, I rise early. Good for you, super Christian. I rise, I rise early before the sun is up. Listen to what he says. I cry out for help. Here's what he's saying. Before I ever start doing anything else, I call upon your name. Before I, before I take a step out of my bed, before I, before I uh, make coffee, mm, <laughs> I, I call out to you. And I put my hope in your word. That's, that's where my hope is. That's what I do. That's, that's how I start my day. So whether you do that the night before you go to sleep, because evening and morning were the first day, that's for all the night owls. Jesus did that right from the very beginning. He let the evening before be as important as the morning of. So maybe you just need to go to bed at night and cry out to God before the sun comes up the next morning. Whatever it is, you start your day off and then you put your hope in His words. And if you don't ever spend any time in His words, then you're not going to have much to put your hope in. And, and if you only do it occasionally, then guess what you're going to have? Occasional hope. If, if you only spend time, whatever amount of time you spend with God in His Word, that is a reflection of the hope that you will have in His Word. The reason that we're starving is because we're not studying. That we're relying on other people to study for us. I can't even do that. I would starve to death. If I tried to live off just what I share with you, because when I study on a Sunday or study on a Wednesday and then I get in here and communicate, that's why pastors burn out because they call that their personal study. But we don't get to keep that. We have to keep that fresh. 
So I've got to wake up with God. And our objective here at this church, upon just counseling and advising with, with our general treasurer, actually as a nation, as the assemblies of God in the United States of America, our objective as a nation right now, from the mouth of our general treasurer, who is also in charge of this Bible literacy movement that we're trying to reestablish, we should aim every week to spend at least, at least five days a week, we should spend at least five minutes reading or studying his word. There is a, there is a direct reflection of the lack of hope in this nation. And that reflection comes from the lack of God's word within his people. Not within his pulpits alone. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in some places. It's not going to happen here. But, but within the people of the church. So we can fast and pray for 21 days. We can have a great 21 days. An incredible conference where we have testimonies from, from things moving in people's lives. And, and, and prayers answered. And, and then a, a message in tongues and an interpretation on a Wednesday night. In fact, let me read you the interpretation. Because a lot of people got so offended, if, if we're not careful, we, we got so uncomfortable with the way that the message was delivered that we missed the message altogether. And so I just want to restate the interpretation. The purpose of a tongue in Scripture is to press pause on a service so that God can speak something specifically in that service. And He did that. But we got distracted by the way that this message was delivered Instead of being focused on what was being delivered. So listen to this. God's word Wednesday night. In the beauty of worship. Not only do you experience me. But I see your heart. In the beauty of worship. I says the Lord experience you. That's his heart. Why do we want to worship? Because we want God to experience us. We want to please the Father and give Him the honor and glory. I experience you on a level that I don't experience you anywhere else. When you open your heart and worship me, I find you on that level. And I meet you there in that place where I truly desire to meet with you. What does our worship look like? I just don't, I'm not talking about a set list. I'm talking about every day. Do we worship God? When we wake up in the morning, do we rise early before the sun or do we stay up late at night and cry out to God because our hope is in his words? Listen to what David says, one, verse 148. I stay awake through the night thinking about your promise. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the promises of God. This morning, we're going to specify what some of those promises are. There's four I will statements that we're going to go over. What are those promises? Next week, I'm going to talk about the personal discipline that is required in pursuing those promises. Because we won't just produce those promises without pursuing them. And God is not McDonald's. You don't just drive through, get what you want, and then go home and feel really fat because of it. That's not how God is. God is an everyday kind of a God. He's an every moment kind of a God. And David says, I wake up before the sun comes up and I put my hope in your words. I stay awake at night. I can't go to sleep because I'm consumed by the promises of God. Let me give you three things quickly I believe are supposed to happen. And this is just hopefully God confirming in my spirit. Number one, I want you to understand, I believe with all my heart that it is God's will for our church to grow. Now, now, I understand that some of you had to fight to find a parking spot. Get here earlier. I'm just saying this. So some of you had to fight to find it. Listen, we have a plan for that. Because of the generosity of this church and the faithfulness, the continued faithfulness of this church, we're able to purchase the land all the way around us for cash because you gave. And we're going to clean it up. And we're going to put down limestone. 
And some of you are going to trip in high heels. <laughs> but we're going to put that limestone down because we believe in developing and building a foundation. And we'll smooth that out. And we're going to have parking in Jesus' name by Easter. God help us. Another thing that we're going to do is we're going to go to third service. Oh, I said it in the sanctuary. We've been talking about it long enough. It's time to do what you've been talking about. I don't know who that's for, but that's just fun. That's old school for me. The reason that we're doing those things is because we want to make room. Make room for who? The people that aren't in here yet. Well, why, why do you? Man, it seems like at that church, all y'all care about is numbers. Duh. I care about numbers. I think God did too. He wrote a whole stinking book on them. He told the priest to count the people. Why? Because he understood that every number represented a person. Every single number represents a soul. So I believe that heaven likes big churches. That's just, I just believe that God wants to grow a church. And I don't believe that ministers should be settled with mediocrity. Well, I'd rather be a mile deep and an inch wide than a mile wide and an inch deep. When is God limited to one or the other? When does the, remember the last time that Jesus had to push the masses away and deep cried unto deep? God is for a large and healthy church. At 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Every day. Every day somebody in the church expanded God's word. Every day a church member ministered to someone who was not yet a church member. That happened. Listen, I want you to see this. I've preached too long on this. As long as heaven and hell are real places. Every person counts. When we stop believing that, we start being satisfied with us four and no more. We stop achieving the Great Commission and we stifle the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pat ourselves on our holy back and say, look what God has done in me. It's God's will for our church to grow. Number two, my growth is mine. It's mine. It's not hers. It's not his. I've been on staff before. I've just completed transparency this morning. I've been on staff before, and I have blamed my pastor for my lack of growth. As if it were up to him to pick up the spoon and feed me. I've been in those places. Well, we just let, we weren't, we weren't growing there. And, and I get that. There are times when God will release you from one place and allow you to go and plug in somewhere where there's life because they just keep eating the dirt in that field and being satisfied with it. Now, I get that, okay? But I also understand that my growth is mine. I am called. This is my faith. This is my family. This is my future. God gave it to me. It's not yours. I love partnering with you and growing with you. But you've got to take, we have to take ownership of our own growth. And that's our desire, to meet people and grow closer to God together. That we would all reach our full growth potential. And listen to me, stop comparing your growth potential to other people's. Comparison is sinful. Comparison is actually what rebels do. They get so frustrated because they're always comparing themselves. And so instead of being faithful, they begin to rebel because they think that they can do it better than the person they're comparing themselves to. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Oh, don't worry. We would not dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. <laughs> so funny. I love the New Living Translation. But they are only comparing themselves with each other. 
and using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant it would be to compare myself to anyone but Jesus. Because if I compare myself to other people, one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to compare my potential and my role to theirs. For instance, some people on our dream teams may compare their role to other people on our dream teams. In other words, somebody in the infant room may compare themselves to someone on the prayer team. But the person that's praying with the mama in the sanctuary would not have the opportunity to pray with that mama in the sanctuary if the person in the infant room weren't changing the diaper of the baby of the mama in the sanctuary. So we don't compare ourselves to one another. My growth is mine. So I'm not going to compare myself to somebody else and then be, be dissatisfied with where I am with God unless his name is Jesus and he's calling me to something more. The other thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to compare myself to somebody else and feel better about myself than I'm supposed to. Well, at least our church is not like that church. Who cares what that church is like? Did God call you to lead or be a part of that church? No, God called you to this church. Quit comparing yourself to other people and feeling better about yourself than you're supposed to. Compare yourself to Jesus. Live up to the standard that he set. And then help somebody else along in the journey. The reason that we don't reach people the way that we're supposed to is because we're satisfied with ourselves, arrogant in ourselves, and comparing ourselves to people that aren't as bad as us. Reach the potential. Number three, I can grow. I can grow. I can. I am not where God has for me to be. I'm not. I'm not. Mr. Almost Ordained Pastor with the license and master's degree and preaches every week. I'm not where God wants me to be. But I'm headed in that direction. I can grow. I can get better. D.L. Moody said this. I love this. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. How do we do this? That was fun preaching. Can't even talk. How do we do this? Well, we believe in the services. We believe in the encounters in the prayer line. We believe in the altar. We believe in those moments. We believe in the mountaintop encounters with God. But Moses had to come down off the mountain. Joshua had to go across the Jordan River. Jesus had to send out the twelve. They were like, no, 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 we're good. We should stay with you. No, 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 no. It's your turn. Go, go to that house and do this and go to that house and do this. Oh, by the way, um, I'm going to leave you. No, 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 you'll never leave us. No, 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 I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to give my life. You'll never give my life. I rebuke you, devil. And, and, and you, you can't be a part of my kingdom if you're not obedient to the word. It's, th it's all throughout scripture. That we've got to take the next step. Come on, and by the way, we have 35 people signed up for next steps today. How cool is that? And I don't know how many people were water baptizing, but I don't think we even know yet because there are several people in here who have begun their journey with Jesus just recently, and, you, and we didn't get them signed up. But today, the Holy Spirit's messing with you right now. And, I, and we got a towel ready for you. As long as you have a dark enough shirt on, we will dunk you in that tank right after service. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready for you to take the next step, to put a public stamp on what God's doing in your heart privately. Following Jesus in believer's baptism. God wants four things. Four things. Ready? I got to fly. Number one, he wants unbelievers to become believers. Or simply put, he wants lost people to become saved. And Now, it, if you're not a believer in God yet, it doesn't mean that I think I'm better than you. It just means that I've discovered something that makes me better than I was. In fact, it doesn't make me better. It, it makes me saved. It puts me, it aligns me in right relationship with Jesus. And it helps me to begin this journey of knowing Jesus. Number two, saved people need to be discipled. 
That's, that's what's got to happen in a healthy church. And by the way, that's why we have small groups. Because in small groups, relationship is formed. So if you're a small group leader, if you just have two, guess what? God said we're two or more gathered. I'm right there. If you have 12, congratulations. You have achieved the epitome of Jesus' ministry. 12 people gathering together. It's Jesus and the disciples. If you have anything over that, that's not a small group, it's a church. But it's okay. <laughs> if you have anything over that, here's what that means. If you have over 12 in your small group, if you go to a small group, you have over 12, that means that you have people in your small group that need to be leading one. That's what that means. And the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to people. And, and the, the, the bigger we grow, the more small groups we're going to have. The, the bigger we become on a Sunday, the more relational we're going to become everywhere else. That's what's going to happen. Discipled people need to be positioned. So as I know Jesus and I find freedom, I'm, I'm discipled and I discover a new purpose. That's what happens. I'm going to show you. This is not just a good idea, by the way. This is a biblical mandate. Number four, position people need to be mobilized. I love what... Pastor Chris Hodges said, and I know some people don't like him, and some people like him way too much, and, and I try to stay in the middle. Um, he's out of Bethany in Baton Rouge and, and has planted a, a, a giant church. Is that Bethel? Bethel or Bethany? Whatever I said is right. One of them is. So one of the two is 50-50 chance. One of them's got to be right. So he planted a church. Here's what he said. This is powerful. Catch this. The local church will not change the world. But the local church mobilized will change the world. It's not the local church that will change the world because we've got 50 local churches. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but our community is not in great condition. It's not in terrible condition. We actually have 13,000 Assembly of God churches, if I'm not mistaken. It's either ministers or churches, according to Pastor Rick. 13,000 Assembly of God churches in the United States of America. And, and no telling how many Southern Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian, Catholic, there's no telling. If the local church was the answer, then this nation wouldn't be in the condition that it's in. It just wouldn't be. But the problem is, we're the, dis, we're the most dysfunctional family that the world has ever seen. We call ourselves a family of God, but we've got di more dysfunction in the house of God than most families will ever even experience. We've got more division in the house of God than most other organizations will ever experience. And when you have division in the house, God can't implement His vision because D is in the way. And whoever D is, or you've probably met them before, they don't last very long around here, I'm going to be honest. They just don't go over well. But God has a plan. And his plan is not just in a church, but in a church mobilized. Now, our uh, district superintendent went to Israel. I just saw them, I just saw them uh, land uh, over there. Funny little sign he posted on, on Facebook. Pastor Scott Holmes, as Pastor Weston used to be his youth pastor. Now he's our district superintendent. He just took a group of people to Israel, which I'm going to go. I'm going to go one of these days uh, when Megan stops having babies. Praise Jesus. And uh, we can go together. I almost said something I shouldn't have. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we're going to go. We're going to go one of these days. It's going to be great, but it's not going to be right now. Um, but they went. And, and I've heard other people that go. And, and it depends on your trip, supposedly, is determined by your tour guide. Like, if you have a great tour guide, it's going to be a great trip. If you have a not-so-great tour guide, then maybe a not-so-great trip. But um, apparently, in this story of, of a pastor that shared, um, and again, it's Pastor Chris Hodges. He went to Israel, and, and he had a good tour guide. It was, he just had a very historical tour guide. And so it was like every place he went... Um, the tour guide would kind of set the record straight historically. So he'd like walk up to the Jordan River and all these people would be being baptized. It's like, oh, this is where Jesus is baptized. And his tour guide would be like, technically, this is probably not exactly where he was baptized. He actually probably baptized about five miles down the river. And so if you want to go down there, you probably go down there. He's like, oh, they have one day. Couldn't go there. And so then they go to the tomb, right? And they're like, oh. 
this is where the body of Jesus was laid. He's like, ah, technically. Body of Jesus actually probably wasn't right here. And, and so they're walking on the Via Della Rosa. He's like, I'm walking where Jesus, am I walking where Jesus walked? Is this, he's like, oh yeah, 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 you're good, you're good. So they go, they go to this house um, that was similar to a first century home. And, and it wasn't the place that apparently that had already been settled throughout the discussion. But they went to this place and they were going to receive communion. Okay, and. And they began, they had the cup and the bread, and, <clears throat> and the tour guide said, actually, this isn't probably how it was. He's like, no, you're not messing up communion. Silence. I rebuke you. you know, was, but, he said, but he was like, wait, I'm, I'm actually, I, I grew up in this thing, and we received communion. We have one cup and, 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 and bread, and, and we've been doing that our entire lives. And he said, actually, uh, in the first Passover, there was, there was actually probably four cups. There were four cups. That were represented. Now it doesn't mean that we've been doing it wrong. It just means that we've decided to take all four cups and put it into one little tiny plastic cup that came from Lifeway. Anyways, uh, it still represents the same thing. But these four cups were not just in the New Testament. This was an Old Testament practice, beginning in the book of Exodus with Passover. Okay, and so Pastor Chris, beginning to study this, he wrote a book called Four Cups. And we wanted, we almost called this series Four Cups, but I, I just, I, I felt like this series should stick with I will. Because I, I believe that God has an I will wherever you are in your journey right now. I believe that God has an I will for you. Every single one of you. Every single one of us. Guys, that's so exciting that, that I haven't just arrived and peaked in the pinnacle of God's purpose in my life. That God still has an I will for me. If you're watching online, I, we believe God has an I will for you. And it's why, we, it's why we're seeing what we're seeing. And God is doing what he's doing. We didn't even know that we had this in place technically. I mean, we knew that we needed a system and a structure to facilitate the vision that God was giving us. Because without structure, that, that you can do all you want to and the whole thing just falls apart. Ever played Jenga? Yeah, it happens. If you don't have the right structure, the whole thing comes crumbling down. And that's why, listen, that's why it's so important that this thing is not built on me because I'm not Jesus and I can't handle it. But we can because we are his body today. And when we do this thing together, it works in a way that it wouldn't have worked because God's answer for this community is a mobilized body working together and fulfilling their purpose the way that he positioned them. That is his will. There are four I will statements and again, this is not just a good idea. This is my statement for you. This is not just a good idea. This is God's will. I, I believe that what people learn in Next Steps and our mission, not just our vision statement, but our mission, our system, our structure that we have is God's will for spiritual development. It is the journey that God wants to take Every single person on, and I'm going to show you in Scripture. I'm going to give you a lot. Just write them down. You can go back and look at them later. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Exodus 6, verse 6. I'm reading from the NIV. I had to change it up. New Living got too wordy here. Therefore, say to the Israelites, therefore, say to my people. Okay, that's all he's saying. I am the Lord. And number one, I will bring you out. In other words, I will save you. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you out from the bondage of slavery. That's what he does. Before he does anything else, he wants to bring you out of the bondage of slavery, the bondage of sin, the bondage of falling short, the bondage of carrying the weight of sin and shame that Adam and the woman sensed in the book of Genesis. Jesus came to free us from that bondage, to bring us out of that bondage, to save us, to save us. It's the first thing he wants to do. We call it know Jesus. It's part of our mission. We have four. Know Jesus. It's the number one objective. In fact, we have seven values in our office. As a nonprofit organization, we have core values. The first one is delight in the Lord. The very first one. 
Because it reminds us we always need to soften ourselves before God. Because if we're like a rock, he can't put his desires in. But if we're like a sponge, he can saturate us with whatever he wants to. I need you to write that down inside of my notes. If I'm going to say that in second service, I'm, I'm going to miss that. All right, here, keep going. I will free you. Okay, because listen, listen. It's one thing to get you out of sin. It's another thing to get the sin out of you. Okay, it's a big deal. Because a lot of believers live their entire lives in bondage. Now, at what point do I, do I drift away and stop knowing Jesus and, and not inherit the kingdom of God? Listen, I don't know. I don't know. And that scares the heaven into me, to be totally honest. Because I don't ever want to be in a place where I say I believe in Jesus, but the fruit of my life says I'm still bound in slavery. So God brought them out of Egypt he said, I will bring you out of the slavery, but I'm not just going to bring you out. I will free you from being slaves to them. I'm not just going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to get the Egypt out of you. You're not going to want leeks and onions anymore by the time I get finished with you. You're not going to want to go back where you came from by the time I take you on this I will journey. There's the next thing he says, I will redeem you. So we have no Jesus, find freedom, and being redeemed, discovering a new purpose for life. I'm not just saved. I'm not just set free. I now have a new objective. I have a new focus, a new purpose. This is not just a good idea. This is God's will instituted in Exodus and still alive today. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and, and mighty acts of judgment. Oh, yay, that'll feel good. Verse 7, I will take you, even when you feel my judgment, you're still mine. Isn't that like, I, I just, I don't like whipping my kids unless I do. And I'm sorry, I'm human. Sometimes they make me mad and I was like, yeah, that's what you get. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you do that. Maybe it's just me. Sometimes she gets on like, oh yeah, girl, <laughs> done rose up in this house. <laughs> the spirit of the Lord has come upon. I don't know. But anyways, but I just got to love on them afterwards. You know what I'm sick of? Go here with me for 20 seconds. I'm so sick of people taking the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and using it to beat people away from his will in their lives. I'm so tired of that. I, I hate it. I, I hate it. Loathe entirely. <laughs> Can't stand it. The, the Bible, this, this book, this is our purpose. Like, he saved us and set us free from sin and then he set us on a course to purpose. He didn't just take everything out of us. He puts a whole lot of new stuff in us. He doesn't just say, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. He says, yeah, thou shalt not this, but then thou shalt this. And that's our purpose. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to impact eternity. I'm going to use you and the purpose that I give you to do something significant. Because you can be out of Egypt but still have bondage in you. But I'm not just going to set you free. I'm not just going to save you. I'm not just going to set you free. I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to purchase you back. So not just to get you out. Not just to get stuff out of you and, and make you a really good person. But my objective, God says, my objective is I want to take you out of sin, free from sin, put a new purpose in you, and put you back to doing what I created you to do in the very beginning. I have a plan. I have a purpose. Let me give you these four cups real quick. The four cups, according to this Jewish tradition, the first cup is a cup of sanctification. We call it know Jesus. Cup of sanctification is knowing Jesus, being saved and sanctified in Christ. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. 
These cups are based on these four I will statements in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 6, these four cups that they took on Passover evening, these four cups represent these four things, sanctification, deliverance, which is finding freedom. Number three, a cup of redemption, which is discovering a new purpose. And number four, I love this one, is the cup of praise. And in fact, it went deeper. This is so good. Hang in there with me. If you're, if you're not a, like a Bible scholar person, just hang tight for just a second because it's the cup of praise, but it's more than just praise. It's, it's hallel. Like it's a, it's a let, let our God be praised. It's a, a recognition that, that I was created in the image and for the glory of God. And so I'm fulfilled in him and him alone. When I take the cup in, not only am I able to take the cup in, but I also become the cup that begins to pour myself out. It, I don't even know if I'm putting it in the good enough words, but if you can see God just pouring his spirit out on you, and then you just become so full, so fulfilled that the hallel of God, the praise of God begins to come back out of you and you become like Paul and you pour yourself as a drink offering over to somebody else and the whole thing starts over again. It's so good. Like Christianity is not just a cross for the willing. It's so much more. It's the life of abundance that Jesus called you to. That Jesus was full of grace and truth. I'm never going to finish this on time. He was full of both of them. If you take out grace and you just preach truth, 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 you're denying half of Jesus' deity. Now, at the same time, if you just preach grace, 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 God's grace, and you tolerate sin in your life, then you're saying that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough to set you free. He's full of grace and truth. And when you combine them together, you live the life that he purchased on the cross, and you pass it down to somebody else who doesn't currently have. It's so good. This thing is so much more than just some words on a page. It's the life of the gospel. And look, it comes back around at the end in the book of Revelation, where the saints of God are bowing with the elders of God 24-7, saying, worthy is the Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy is his name, who was in is and is to come I figured it out and I'm living it out that's God's will I got to give you quick scriptures ready Isaiah 61 verse 1 all of these are back in the New Living Translation Isaiah 61 verse 1 the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me all that other junk that used to be on me. Whew. Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me. Not just me. Ye. <laughs> to bring the good news. The good news of the gospel is Jesus. That's what he did. That's who he is. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim to the captives. You will be released and prisoners will be free. Find freedom. Because you can hear the good news of the gospel, receive salvation, but you still need to get some junk out of you. That's why we have freedom groups. Not just a freedom group in small groups, but we have we separated it because it's a separate track. Small groups are great. They're organic. They're anything from running, which I'll never be in. I ever do in that small group, in Jesus' name. They're anything for just coming together and hanging out, food and fellowship, ping pong and prayer. We've got all kinds of small groups. Then there are some that are like, they did an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. They're organic. They can be whatever you want them to be. But then we have freedom groups where you go on a 13-week track, a 13-week journey, and you begin to walk through God's Word in a way that you've never walked through. And then we end it with a retreat on a Friday night and a Saturday morning down at Crossroads with their church. It's powerful, unbelievable. Because God wants you not just saved, he wants you set free. Verse 2. He has set me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. 
and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Verse three, to all who mourn. Look, this whole, this whole verse is discovering purpose. This, this entire verse, to all who mourn in Israel, he'll give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. So instead of being a twig that's run over by somebody else's lawnmower, instead of being a flower that only sprouts seasonally, hey, Instead of being a weed that as soon as the wind blows, you're called off and blown away, you'll be like an oak. You'll be like an oak. I messed this up on Wednesday night. God helped me do it right this time. But Psalms opens up. The entire book opens up. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, he's an oak because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. He rises in the morning. He stays awake all night long because the promises of God are yes and amen. And he sees them and operates them. He's no longer a twig, a flower, or a weed. He is an oak planted by the river of living water. That's who God is. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them. Not God, they will. You will be the rebuilding of somebody else. You will be the revival of someone else. When you know Christ, you find freedom, you discover purpose, He will use you to impact somebody else's eternity. And we can't build a building big enough to facilitate God using a mobilized body to minister to people that are not yet a part of it. We'll never be able to build it. You have so many services, so many small groups, so many people getting saved and being baptized at your house. Filled with the Spirit in your living room. Sunday morning is not even something we have to do in ministry anymore. We just come here together and celebrate all the ministry the body of Christ was doing. By the way, that was the way the church grew in the book of Acts. We know not come into the house of God and sitting in rows and then patting yourselves on the back and saying, check that one off my list. Back to the American dream I go. No, repurposed, redestined, revived and used. Mark 16, verse 15. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news. Know Jesus. Verse 16, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. That is what knowing Jesus is. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new languages. We don't have to be afraid of it. Jesus could have left it out if he didn't want tongues in the New Testament. I'm just saying. Verse 17, these miraculous signs will accompany, cast out demons, speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. I'm not playing with that one, but if I had to, I could in the name of Jesus. I actually have before. There's one in my house. I killed that little devil and threw him in a trash can. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. Paul did that in the book of Acts. And the people were amazed and the entire village was saved because of it. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Oh, look, there's finding freedom again. When the Lord Jesus has finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and said, this is the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. It may be important. When he said that, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then his disciples went. Then they went. Discovered purpose. Now they impact eternity. They went everywhere. There was no place that they did not share the gospel. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Pastor, preach pastor disciple and then they go the great commission is in the entire bible from exodus chapter 6 you know what i'm going to skip to ephesians 1 we got it for the sake of time let me give you i have two more but i just want to show you one more ephesians 1 pastor weston will read this in next steps today telling you this is not just a good idea this is not church growth 101 this is a biblical mandate for a spiritual journey and you know what that's good news 
Because every single one of us have a step to take. We're all on a spiritual journey. All we're doing today is letting God show us where we are in the journey. Ephesians 1, Paul says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. I think that you've got to catch the heart of God to understand this scripture. I don't think that you have to have children to catch this. But you have to come to a place in your journey with Jesus where you truly learn how to love other people more than you love yourself. But that's a journey. To understand that Paul says, I I can't stop thanking God for you. Paul can't believe what God is using him to do. If you ever get to that place, and you can, by the way, through these four I wills, we call it impacting eternity. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. It's not just a vision statement. It's God's will for this church. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light because until you know God, you can't experience light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. You're called now. (laughs) I'm not called, not just me, by myself. Staff members alone aren't called. If you knew Jesus and you've experienced the light, (laughs) you're called too. If you don't serve him, it's your problem. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm going to coach you along and do anything I can to call you with him. We're called. He called us. His holy people who are His rich and glorious. What is God's inglorious inheritance? Man, I got People. There's one treasure in heaven. One. We spend 40 hours a week. Eight hours a day. To gather things that moth and rust will destroy. And and those things aren't in and of themselves evil. Like, I'm I'm thankful for being able to provide for my children too. Like, I like this jersey. I wouldn't have bought it, but I like it a lot. Buy me a Troy Aikman one just like it. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But when you put those things ahead of heaven's treasure, God's treasure, His glorious inheritance is people. God wants to build a really big church. Not just here, but everywhere. And the largest church in the world has the most small groups, by the way. Sheol, South Korea. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For us who believe in Him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. i got to share this last thing with you. Jump back up to verse 16, 17. Jump back up to verse 17. To grow in your knowledge of God. You see that, that last phrase? Your knowledge of, of God. I may mess this word up, but ultimately that word knowledge... The word that most of us can pronounce in the Greek, it's gnosko. And and it it just means to know God. But this is the same word. Paul is praying the same word that Jesus was using in Matthew chapter 11. This is powerful. Don't miss this. This word that Paul is praying over his church, that I pray for you, Because I can't give you what I have. I pray that you discover it on your own. Gnosko, to know God. It doesn't mean to just be affiliated with Him. To know of Him. As, As all of us know people that drive through church, literally, 
They drive through, drop off, drive back out. Spiritual duty. Okay. That's not God's will. Like he wants you in his house. Yeah, absolutely. But he wants you to know him. Matthew chapter 11, catch this. This verse, this word, Jesus said, only the Father knows the Son. And only the Son knows the Father. Paul is praying, listen, this is so, that you would have more than just a knowledge, like an understanding of Jesus. He is praying that you would personally know Jesus the way that the Father knew Jesus. And that you would personally, gnosko, recognize a relationship with God that only up to this point, only Jesus Christ had with the Father. That is his heart for you knowing him. Guys, that is... Father in this room right now, Lord, for every person that believes and has confidence in the fact that they know you, I pray that we would take just 20 seconds. Say, God, where are we in this journey? Where am I? Do I know you, but I still see so many things in my life that I'm not free from? Lord, help me to deal with those things. Maybe sign up for a freedom group. Increase my time with you in the mornings or in the evening five days a week I need to get in your word somebody needs to make that commitment faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God if you're not hearing reading studying the word of God it's no wonder that you have so much doubt in your life you don't have enough word in your life God where am I in this journey maybe I'm free from sin but but God what am I free for What'd you free me for? I need to discover purpose beyond just the daily routine. I, I, I need to discover purpose beyond just the mundane and the religious and the ritual. I need a purpose that's, that's bigger. I, I pray that for you. That dreams and visions and ministries would begin to just explode in your heart and you would begin to prepare and, and, and that you would begin to train and you would begin to pray and ask God to show you how to make those visions come to life. And maybe you're just preparing for the next generation, whatever it is. But then some of us need to stop dreaming and start doing. Impacting eternity. Not just being part of something that is impacting eternity, but ourselves engaging in this process. Join a small group. Co-lead one. And all that stuff is well and great. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are some people in this room that all they have is a knowledge of God.